The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. He came to me a month ago complaining about severe headaches. An MRI showed that he had stage 4 glioblastoma. A brain tumor? Inoperable, untreatable. He only had a few months to live. Well, then why did he go to you? Why didn't he go to a hospital? Because as a scientist, he knew the limits of current therapies, and he was familiar with my work, nanoparticle genetic therapy. English. Targeted treatment of tumors. I'm years away from human testing, but he was my best friend. How could I say no to him? So you set up shop at the hotel to keep it secret? If anyone found out, I'd lose my tenure, my funding, reputation. We couldn't even risk using existing operating suites. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October 27th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion. That's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. If we needed any further proof or evidence that our politicians simply do not represent their constituents, You'll certainly be getting an earful today. On the one hand, I suppose you could say our show theme today is essentially about the state of our sick healthcare system. But on the other, you could say the show is about our sick state in general. <laughs> Either way, you'd be just right. What has been going on in state-regulated and state-monopolized healthcare can best be described, I think, in a single word. Unconscionable. And I don't even know if that word is strong enough. Check my dictionaries. Webster's Pocket Dictionary defines unconscionable as unbelievably bad, wrong, inequitable, wholly unscrupulous. My Funk and Wagnalls Dictionary defines unconscionable as going beyond reasonable bounds, unjustifiable, not governed by prudence, unconscientious, not scrupulous, having no scruples or morals, unprincipled. And for me, that word unconscionable best describes what we are going to hear about today. I heard a couple of very significant interviews I'd like to share parts of with you, which illustrate the unconscionable decisions being routinely made by our politicians, decisions that invariably make things worse for people seeking medical care everywhere. You'll hear all about it yourself right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Flatten the curve. Remember that? That was the outrageous and meaningless phrase used as an excuse for COVID lockdowns in early 2020. Flatten what curve? Apparently, the demand curve on Canada's much-touted-as-perfection healthcare system. Or was it the supply curve of the healthcare system itself? And funny, it wasn't just Canada. This was going on everywhere in the Western world. 
But either way, it was an outright lie, and we spotted it from day one. Why did we need to flatten any curve at all, especially here in Canada, given the billions upon billions of taxpayer dollars poured into the healthcare system year after year after year after year? And I can tell you from first-hand experience that Canada's healthcare system is a disaster and has, for all intents and purposes, already collapsed. And remember, we're talking about the system, not any particular medical professionals caught within it, though too many of them have also become part of the greater problem, but it's a bit of a separate problem. For years, Canadians have shamefully been virtue signaling the superiority of their evil-to-the-core communist healthcare monopoly, believing that this monopoly will guarantee their right to healthcare, and not just to healthcare per se, but to free healthcare in the sense that it's not a user-pay system. In fact, the user does not pay. It's the non-users who pay, and always in the hopes that their payment today will protect them from having to pay tomorrow, should they end up in the hospital. Canada's so-called universal single-payer healthcare system, completely state-funded and controlled, has become, and always has been, a tool by which our own socialist governments end up killing and murdering us. Once you have instituted any form of socialized medicine, you no longer have a system that is interested in maintaining your health or curing your illnesses because the economic and political incentives have all been turned upside down. Canadians have endorsed the evil philosophy of something for nothing which forms the central philosophies of all the major political parties sitting in the Canadian Parliament and legislatures, only to discover that in the end, all such Ponzi schemes, pyramid schemes if you will, end up revealing themselves to becoming nothing for something. To some extent or another, all of the world's democracies have gone down this path, and that's where we are at today, having democratically sold out on the principles of freedom which are real and opted for the false security of the state. It's a tragedy because none of it was necessary. Remember, those who value security more than freedom will lose both, but those who value freedom more than security will achieve both. This is not to say that you have to choose either freedom or security, but you do have to pick the priority that is just right, and then you can have both. I've lived in Canada long enough to have lived during a period where all the medical care was essentially private, and I've witnessed firsthand the deterioration of health care ever since the Ontario Progressive Conservative government in Ontario decided to put conservative principles into action by establishing a state-funded single-payer health care monopoly and introduced income taxes to the province of Ontario, which formerly had none, for the supposed purpose of funding health care, and thereby doing away with the necessity of private health insurance premiums. But wait a minute, <laughs> you still had to pay a premium. It was 1967 and it was called the Ontario Health Insurance Plan, OHIP for short. And this itself was a fraudulent name because it was no health insurance plan any more than any of the current COVID vaccines are vaccines. Ironically, even though tax-funded to qualify for OHIP, you had to pay a premium, which was about $30 a month during a period that I recall paying it directly. But the premiums only covered 18% of the cost of the program, making it not an insurance program, but a transfer of wealth program. 
This was an unconscionable thing to do, especially in 1967, when 82% of all Ontarians had private health insurance, purchased freely and providing the coverage of their own choice. If the objective had been to insure that remaining 18% with some kind of minimal health care expense protection, well, that would have been easy. But creating a universal insurance plan that paid 100% of everybody's health care expenses without any deductible was not only morally unconscionable, but fiscally insane. It was a tragedy that the concept of insurance as a protector against costs incurred in medical emergencies was replaced by the concept of free medical service for all. And as a result, resources that might have been available for true medical emergencies became absorbed in expenditures relating to the routine. Expenses that could have and should have been paid directly by those receiving the benefit. And therein lies the deadly formula that leads to the incredible revelations we are about to hear next. Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson's interview on October 19th with Dr. William Mackis was, as she put it in her own words during that very interview, a bombshell. And the revealed bombshell wasn't even what their conversation was intended to be about, namely the sudden doctor death syndrome that is getting worse by the day. And that subject was in fact discussed and will be partially featured later on in our own show today, but the real surprise was the bombshell about cancer treatment in Canada. Now, consider the implications of what we are about to hear. Dr. William Mackis uh, obtained his university degree at McGill University. Before that, he had a bachelor degree in immunology from the University of Toronto. He did his medical specialty degree in nuclear medicine, radiology, and oncology. He practiced as a nuclear medicine physician and was the director in Brandon, Manitoba, before moving to Edmonton to take over a large cancer treatment program where they treated stage four end-stage cancer patients, um, uh, neuroendocrine cancer patients with cutting-edge treatments, including medical isotope applications developed in Europe that have a very high response rate and a cure rate for cancer patients. Amazing. They actually saved about 85% of the cancer patients either halting or completely eliminating their cancer. As well, Dr. Mackis has recently revealed that there are a staggering number of doctors who have passed away since um, a certain rollout in our country. So we're going to bring uh, Dr. Mackis on right now. And thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you for being able to share this uh, with us today. Thank you, Laura Lynn, for having me. You're welcome. Cancer rates are up is what I'm hearing everywhere. And to hear that, you've got this really amazing knowledge and experience. Can you just give us a little bit of that before we get into the weeds today? Certainly. Um, I came to Edmonton, Alberta to work at Cross Cancer Institute, which is um, you know, one of the large cancer centers here in Alberta. And what really attracted me to Alberta is that we had um, access to cutting edge cancer diagnostics and cancer treatments. I became the lead PET-CT uh, radiologist um, in Alberta. Uh, so PET-CT is um, 
is an imaging uh, modality that's used to diagnose a vast majority of cancers. And I also uh, took over a large cancer program using uh, medical isotopes to treat uh, end-stage cancer patients, as you described. Uh, we had tremendous success. It was um, approved by Health Canada. And we were really trying to bring this technology here to Canada and make it available to all Canadians because it had been successfully treating end-stage cancer patients in Europe for a decade. And unfortunately, you know, we ran into some roadblocks. Um, in the States, the FDA actually sat 20 years uh, on the approval of, of these treatments because they didn't want these treatments cutting into profits for chemotherapy. Um, you know, the, the beauty about our treatments is that we could target radiation directly to tumor cells using, um, you know, peptides that were attached to the radiation that were specific only for tumor cells. So you wouldn't damage any surrounding normal tissue. And that's not what you get in chemotherapy. In chemotherapy, you know, you get um, damage to your, you know, blood cells, your bone marrow, your, your normal tissues. So that's why we had such a high response rate. And, you know, we could treat uh, patients as outpatients. So they could come in, have their injection, you know, hang around for an hour to make sure, you know, they didn't have any kind of reaction. They almost never did. And then they'd go home and, and go back to their go back to their lives. So it was uh, incredible. Unfortunately, um, Alberta Health Services uh, wanted to uh, eliminate our cancer program because it became apparent that there was tremendous money that could be made uh, by building private clinics. Um, and they wanted to build those private clinics in Vancouver, B.C., um, so Rachel Notley's Alberta NDP government actually uh, took very concrete steps to have my program shut down. And now they're rebuilding the same exact program in Vancouver, BC, and it's being funded by the Trudeau government uh, with over $300 million of Canadian taxpayer money. Um, now, you know, this would have been good news overall if they had just let our cancer program keep going but um, they wanted to declare themselves the global leaders uh, they wanted to attach private clinics um, to the public um, you know program where they would effectively treat foreign nationals um, you know most likely from china and india because that they would have very easy access to vancouver charge them anywhere from a hundred to five hundred thousand dollars upper treatment and you know um, a lot of politicians and healthcare executives uh, are invested in this right now they're calling it uh, precision medicine uh, because the cancer treat treatments are very precise uh, they want to get it going and and label the the whole program as a, you know a bc center for precision medicine um, they're calling themselves a global leader um, you know, it's on the Canadian government website that Justin Trudeau has invested, um, you know, tremendous amounts of money into this. Um, and so, unfortunately, uh, we were sacrificed, um, you know, to get these programs going in BC so they could have a monopoly and call themselves a global leader. Wow. Well, that is an interesting bombshell. You know, uh, Dr. Mackis, that's very sad. So are you saying in Edmonton you can no longer offer this amazing life-saving treatment? 
We offered these treatments um, in Alberta from 2011 until 2015, uh, when our cancer program was sabotaged by Alberta Health Services executives who were hired by the uh, newly elected uh, NDP leader, Rachel Notley. Uh, she had just won uh, you know, the election in May 2015, and by December 2015, the Alberta Health Services executives that she put into place sabotaged our cancer program. Um, and so since 2017, these cancer treatments have not been available in Canada to anybody. And meanwhile, you know, there's cancer centers going up in the States. Um, in 2017, I interviewed at Stanford University. I interviewed at uh, um, Memorial Sloan Kettering, um, Mount Sinai a University in uh, New York. And, and, and a lot of these um, large cancer centers were very interested in um in this technology and getting their own cancer treatment programs going and unfortunately what happened was um because um you know the trudeau government was so desperate to have a monopoly on this um in vancouver bc um the college of physicians and surgeons of, of alberta actually came after my medical license and took my medical license hostage so that i couldn't actually leave alberta and start a program like this anywhere else in North America. So effectively, they've held my medical license hostage since then. Uh, they've attacked me, they've smeared me, uh, they've threatened my family, they've threatened my children, um, they framed me with a bogus complaint at the college, um, and then they basically um, you know, ran up these charges, took me through a hearing tribunal where they ran up penalty fees of $70,000, extorted me and my family with these fees. Um, I had a lawsuit by that time against Alberta Health Services. And they said, you know, if you don't, if you don't pay this penalty, uh, we're going to suspend your license. We also want you to undergo psychiatric uh, testing with one of our doctors to see if you're even mentally fit to practice medicine. And if you don't do that, we'll suspend your license. So they were doing everything possible to try to get my medical license suspended for the reason so that I couldn't go elsewhere and start these programs and, you know, treat patients somewhere else, uh, whether whether it would be Stanford, whether it would be New York, uh, UNC Chapel Hill had interviewed me and actually offered me a job. Um, and they absolutely did not want me treating cancer patients anywhere else. Um, and so they've damaged my medical license. Uh, they've damaged my medical career. Uh, and so now both Alberta Health Services and the College of Physicians of Alberta are facing two lawsuits that were greenlit by the Court of Queen's Bench of Alberta. These lawsuits are ongoing and, um, you know, we have a lot of documentation of malfeasance by public health officials in Alberta. Wow. It has become a dangerous world, hasn't it, to, to enter into that medical area where big pharma really has such huge profits and they become so powerful that not even a cure for cancer or helping people to be well will, um, you, you know, will be the path that they'll take. They'll rather sacrifice it all so that they can go down another path, which brings in the money. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, medicine in Canada has become heavily politicized um, and of course, you know, most things are driven by profit. Uh, so really the patient is not the priority um, in healthcare. It is, uh, you know, profit uh, and power um, and really whether you have the right political connections or not. So in Alberta, 
Interestingly, Alberta Health Services has been run by executives who are loyal to the um, Alberta NDP government uh, that was previously led by Rachel Notley, and of course to the federal Trudeau Liberal government, and that's where their political loyalties lie. Now, we've had a conservative government for the past three years run by uh, Jason Kenney, and he left all of these NDP and Liberal executives in charge of Alberta's healthcare system. When I suggested that we consider the implications of this testimony from Dr. William Mackis, the implication most foremost in my mind was the sad reality that our healthcare regulators and bureaucrats couldn't care less about the health of the people who think their welfare is being somehow protected by them. And not just in today's environment where they're actively killing the populace, but from day one of having allowed any one of them to have any power over others. Talk about organized crime. Crony, crony, crony. Fascism, fascism, fascism. And did you catch that haunting suggestion that Dr. Mackis should undergo psychiatric testing? That was exactly what Dr. Peter Bregan, a psychiatrist himself, warned against as heard on our October 6th broadcast. Warnings concerning the abuse and misuse of psychiatry as a means to control the public. Already we're seeing examples of it. Dr. Mackis said that he has a lot of evidence of malfeasance by public health officials in Alberta. Such as it is, <laughs> the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta itself is an institution of malfeasance and should be abolished, period. I mean, here they are trying to prevent him from offering his services even outside their jurisdiction. And I have to say, though, that there's a bit of naivete in the statement medicine in Canada has become heavily politicized, which I've heard from many a doctor of late, because, let's face it, medicine in Canada became 100% politicized the very second, in Ontario, for example, that socialized health care was made law by the conservative government of the day. And in his use of the word profit, Dr. Mackis has unfortunately made a common epistemological error concerning the word profit itself. The people he's talking about who are closing his care center and establishing their own quote-unquote private clinics in B.C. are not after profit. They are after the unearned. Simply stealing money from the taxpayer or from consumers denied any market choices is not what we call making a profit. It's simple theft. Nor can any clinic established under government monopoly be regarded as private. It's anything but. Profits are earned and can only be earned on a free market where the supply and demand for a particular product or service is freely chosen by both buyer and seller. Each side of a voluntary transaction profits. That is why free economies work and controlled economies do not. In the latter, every exchange involves a winner and a loser, and the losers invariably end up outnumbering the winners, as we can see today for ourselves. Taking money from people without their consent is not a means of earning what can be called a profit. It's just a form of theft. They want something for nothing, the something being stolen is from the citizens and victims, the nothing being what is offered in exchange. They use force as the means of acquiring their so-called profit, and any gain, in some material sense, 
I understand, is often seen as a profit because profits in business are associated with a gain in wealth, a surplus of income in excess of incurred expenses that would be required to earn that profit. And of course, earning is the key distinction, and that can only occur in a free-from-coercion environment. The principle, quote-unquote, of non-profit administration is in no way a guarantee of lowering costs, particularly since the profit motive is the only efficient way of keeping costs in check. And the forbidding of any free market influences in healthcare severs the link between producer and consumer and will guarantee cost escalation. And then there's the issue of license fascism, which would be an apt way to describe how the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta has been abusing its authority. Have you ever heard someone say something like, hey, it's freedom, not license? Well, this ironically suggests very clearly that it is subconsciously understood that license is some kind of freedom from responsibility, whereas freedom means responsibility. And yet, for some reason, we insist on licensing everything. (laughs) Licenses grant everything from permissions, which may or may not be legitimate, to monopoly status, which is never legitimate. And where government is involved, usually both simultaneously. Just look at the average taxi license in a city. But the worst example of license not freedom that I can think of concerns the government's utter abandonment of its most fundamental purpose, the provision of justice on the issue of mandated vaccines. When it comes to big pharma, instead of protecting the individual right to sue for damages, which is a fundamental government function as a referee in the marketplace, the government has become the key player and literally excused and protected big pharma from being sued. Holy cow! I mean, that's, that's license, not freedom. And quite frankly, in my humble opinion, exempting vaccine manufacturers from any responsibility for damages resulting from their products is, I'm sorry, not within the jurisdiction of any legitimate free government. Give me a break. I don't buy it for a minute. That's the very definition of injustice. The government never sought any consent from the people it governed to make such a deal. The provision of healthcare services and government should have nothing to do with one another. Government is a gun and not an instrument of social justice or for providing social services. Government's only justifiable role is to be the referee in a society where coercive monopolies like the one we just heard about would be prohibited and prosecuted. And any business funded by government is not a business. It is merely an activity paid for by the involuntarily collected taxes of others who do not even conduct any transactions with said quote-unquote business. Nor can any such acquired money ever be regarded as profit since there is an accompanying loss incurred by the victims. You know, the people that never use the business. Now, I would like to remind those living in Alberta today and campaigning so hard for separation and independence from the rest of Canada to be careful of what you're wishing for. The fact that Alberta, on its own as a province, could ever even elect an NDP communist government means that you'll still have the same struggle ahead of you as a separate political entity, namely the struggle of trying to overcome the something-for-nothing voting mentality, so ingrained in all of the established political parties, that you had 
in the greater country at large. Now, here we are talking about a healthcare system when the doctors within that system, after receiving their COVID shots, are dying on an unprecedented level and nobody wants to talk about it. And here again is Dr. Macus in conversation with Laura Lynn on that very taboo subject. Dr. Macus, you have highlighted that doctors um, have been passing away and it's not explained. I mean, let me let you tell it. I was just flooded. I was flooded with emails, messages. Um, people text me because I had actually brought this to the attention of the Canadian Medical Association that 32 doctors had died suddenly or unexpectedly. And I had you know, requested that they urgently look into this uh, call for a halt of all vaccine mandates in healthcare in Canada. And that really we needed an investigation to see what was going on, that doctors were dying at unprecedented rates. And, you know, my email was just flooded with hundreds of, of emails a day and, and it was all supportive. Um, you know, I received tremendous support from the medical community in Canada. And I have to say mostly nurses, uh, nurses that saw what was going on in their workplace. And they said, look, uh, we have to stay anonymous because we're afraid for our job. Um, so that was incredible to see. And, and, I, and I received a lot of support from doctors internationally. Uh, doctors from Germany, you know, South Africa, India, uh, Spain, um, you know, countries that uh, I wouldn't have expected that this information would have reached. And then I had a number of people who said, look, we want to help you, you know, in any way, way we can, um, you know, just tell us what to do, what can we do? Um, you know, people started sending me obituaries, people started sending me uh, people whose own doctors had died. They said, look, my doctor died. They had just taken their shot. Um, something happened. Uh, you know, they were previously healthy. You know, can you please look into it? So I ended up putting together a team of people. And fortunately, you know, because uh, I am currently retired, um, I was actually had some time to be able to take a deep dive into this. And so we put together a team of people um, who started really doing a tremendous amount of work. And one gentleman who, um, you know, whose name is Michael, but otherwise wishes to remain anonymous, um, he had gone on the Canadian Medical Association website and he used the Wayback Machine to recover um, all of physician death data that apparently the Canadian Medical Association has been quietly deleting from their website. So the Canadian Medical Association keeps uh, quite an extensive in memoriam page um, that reports on, you know, doctors that had passed away recently. And when he went back and used the Wayback Machine, he realized, wait a minute, the Canadian Medical Association has been deleting hundreds of these, these entries. Um, and, you know, they were available at some point and now they're no longer available. Um, so he recovered 970 doctor deaths that he put together. And then um, we looked at other sources, the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons, which is based in Ontario, the provincial medical associations, um, the colleges themselves will sometimes um, put on the doctor's license that the doctor is deceased. And every medical school in Canada and every medical school alumni association which sometimes reports on their former graduates who had passed away. So we ended up with a huge database of 1,638 Canadian doctor deaths that had occurred over the past four years. Uh, we had gone back, um, you know, 
to the last four years so that we could actually make a comparison and see, okay, are doctors really dying at much higher rates? Uh, are we just imagining this is it, you know, or, or is, is this normal or is this abnormal? Um, and basically the last two months I've spent analyzing the data. We, I've gone over uh, pretty much every entry and, you know, we cross-referenced it to publicly available obituaries. And what we found out is the following, as we found out that under the age of 70, uh, actively practicing doctors, 80 had died suddenly or unexpectedly, and another 60 had died who had previous medical conditions, um, such as a cancer that was diagnosed before the vaccine rollout, uh, they may have had ALS or Parkinson's disease uh, or, you know, dementia or other chronic illnesses. Um, so those 60 were excluded or placed in a separate separate database. Um, and then I put out the report on the 80 doctors who had died suddenly or unexpectedly. And then we looked at, um, OK, how does this compare to previous years? Because one of the you know ways that I've been attacked is that the, the doctors who've been really pushing aggressively Pfizer and Moderna vaccines um, and, and using Twitter and other social media to do so, they said, this is all fake, this is all nonsense, the doctors, uh, you know, doctors always die and they're not dying at, you know, increased rates and this is all uh, conspiracy nonsense. And what we found when we really analyze the data closely is that um, there are increased deaths in every age, age category and it gets worse and worse the younger you get. So when we looked at doctors under the age of 50 um, in the year 2021, they died at double the rate compared to 2020 or 2019. And the same is going to be true for this year as well. And that, however, the younger you go, the much worse it gets. If you look at all doctors under the age of 40, this year they are dying at five times the rate compared to 2020 and 2019. When you look at the doctors under the age of 30, they're dying at a rate eight times uh, as high compared to 2019 and 2020. And I think what we have to realize is that, you know, in 2020, the pandemic was already raging um, you know, we had several waves um, in the pandemic and still doctors are dying at rates that are double five times or eight times as high uh, as 2020 or 2019. I've sent a follow-up letter to the Canadian Medical Association. I've informed them of all of this uh, information. Unfortunately, you know, they've ignored my letters uh, really for the past two months. Uh, they've been contacted by journalists from Rebel News, from Western Standard. Um, they've been contacted um, even by American philanthropist uh, Stephen Kirsch. Um, who has really taken an interest in this and, and, you know, finds it absolutely shocking. He has sent them numerous, um, you know, emails asking them to at least comment on this. You know, um, what is your what is your comment on this? And, yeah, the Canadian the Medical, and the Canadian Medical Association has stayed completely silent. And, and really, we have to push back because, 
what I realize is that um, the politicians and, and health executives, um, they're not going to give this mRNA uh, technology up. Um, what you're seeing is the Trudeau government is investing into mRNA factories that are being built in Quebec. Uh, there's a talk about another one being built in uh, Vancouver or, or British Columbia. And, um, you know, there's tremendous uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment going into building facilities that will produce more mRNA vaccines and not just COVID vaccines, but, you know, flu shots, uh, HIV vaccines. Uh, now they're now they're now Moderna is pushing mRNA vaccines that will repair uh, the cardiac damage that was caused by your COVID vaccine. Um, so unfortunately, the corrupt health authorities and the politicians are uh, not giving this up. And in fact, you know, uh, Rachel Notley has come out and publicly said that she wants to put together medical teams who will go door to door vaccinating Albertans who, you know, either are not up to date on their COVID shots or have never taken a COVID shot. She literally wants to go door to door vaccinating individuals and she continues to aggressively push mRNA vaccines. Um, she continues to ignore vaccine injuries, vaccine deaths, even when we are having, you know, deaths happen to doctors um, who then she praises and says, yes, this is a great loss. But she completely ignores um, all the data that's pouring in. You know, in Alberta, the number one cause of death and I think it's over 3,000 deaths in the past year, is unknown. It is unknown. That's the number one cause of death in Alberta. And who's investigating it? Nobody. Um, the Alberta Health Services uh, executives are ignoring it. In fact, um, I've been told that there has been a tremendous push to avoid autopsies altogether um so that you know um doctors are instructed not to conduct autopsies right um the college of physicians and surgeons of alberta is completely ignoring these uh, vaccine injuries and deaths now we've had we've just had the college of physicians and surgeons in ontario tell their doctors that oh if you have patients who don't want to take the COVID vaccine you should consider putting them on psychiatric medication and this is the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario basically saying that people who don't want to take the COVID shot um, or are unvaccinated completely, that there might be something mentally wrong that they might need to be put on psychiatric medication. These are gross violations of medical ethics. Um, you know, this is just, I mean, you know, we've lost medical ethics in Canada completely. Um, you know, I tell people now that we live in a post-medical ethics world in Canada. Our healthcare has become completely captured by big pharma and, and really politics. And, and because the Trudeau government is in power and is pushing the mRNA vaccines and their production, um, you know, all the healthcare leaders in Canada have fallen in line uh, with this push by the federal liberal government. This is the document that I forwarded to the Canadian Medical Association. And, you know, I, I actually spoke with Steve Kirsch this morning and he asked me, he said, look, did, did the Canadian Medical Association respond to you about this yet or no? And I said, no, absolutely. No one has responded 
to me, um, you know, whether from the Canadian Medical Association or any of the health authorities in Canada, um, I truly hope that at some point, uh, you know, the authorities, you know, will not be able to ignore this anymore. I don't know how many doctor deaths it's going to take. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be hundreds um, before they, you know, wake up from their slumber or, or if it's going to have to be even more than that. Um, but unfortunately, what I'm seeing in the data is that the deaths are slowly accelerating. It's not slowing down. Now, we do get a spike of deaths uh, whenever there's a booster shot rolled out. So with the first booster shot, there was a spike. With the second booster shot, there was a bigger spike. But what I'm seeing is that the background rate of deaths that are sudden or unexpected is climbing as well. So these numbers will only continue to accelerate. And, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, the health authorities at some point will not be able to ignore this. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Personally, I think they'll never stop ignoring the crisis because, well, they're causing it. It's unconscionable. So, here we have the Canadian Medical Association deleting hundreds of doctors' deaths. And worse, planning to spread the vaccine horrors beyond even greater horizons. Nobody investigating. No autopsies. And get this, the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Ontario wants to have patients put on psychiatric medications? So you'll be labeled crazy for pointing to the crazies. Again, the warning of Dr. Peter Bregan comes to mind. With a spike of deaths after each booster, and with numbers continuing to accelerate, that means they're, raising, they're, they're rising faster. How this reality will eventually collide with the health authorities remains to be seen, but the practice of hiding statistics and hiding the numbers of deaths and injuries continues unabated. Got this chilling item forwarded to me, which was originally a tweet shared by Canada Polly, and it reads as follows, quote, Died Suddenly News by Wade Doucette. And he uses the word cupcake in place of the word vaccine because, of course, of all the censorship going on, and that alone is unconscionable. But here it is, quote, I have a co-worker who got the cupcake because of pressure at work, and I think he was drinking the Kool-Aid. A while after having the cupcake, his wife found him on the kitchen floor. He was rushed to the hospital where he spent two days in eMERGE and one day in the cardiac ward due to a quote-unquote cardiac event. He has been diagnosed with myocarditis. When he asked his cardiologist if he should get the second cupcake, the doctor's response was, you may as well, the damage has already been done, quote-unquote. He got it and was bedridden for quite some time before finally returning to work under, quote-unquote, modified duty. Today, my co-worker dropped a bombshell. Oh my God, another one. On the one-year anniversary of his cardiac event, he had a follow-up appointment with the same cardiologist. After reviewing the test results, the doctor asked a strange question. He asked, What are you doing here? My co-worker was surprised and answered, I'm here for my one-year follow-up. The doctor then told my co-worker that he wanted to show him something. He turned the screen he was looking at towards my co-worker and asked, One-year follow-up to what? There was nothing on the file about my co-worker being admitted to the hospital after the cupcake. Do you have any paperwork? The doctor asked. Yes, my co-worker responded. I have my discharge papers. Keep them, the doctor advised. 
you're the fifth patient of mine whose admission records have been removed. The doctor complained to Alberta Health Services and is now receiving disciplinary action. Alberta Health Services is deleting records of adverse reactions to the cupcakes, end quote. There you have it again, unconscionable, the same group. So it's not just the doctors, but the patients as well. And lo and behold, Alberta Health Services is once again dutifully providing its services to an unwilling and coarse public. Simply unconscionable. And just when you thought you were getting a handle on the whole virus issue, along comes Dr. Lee Merritt on Kate Daly's October 19th show to suggest that viruses don't even exist and that the phenomenon we may be dealing with is more along the lines of what we heard from Karen Kingston on last week's show. Oh, and that MNRA? (laughs) Guess what? They're not finding any of that stuff in the vaccines either. Are you ready? (laughs) Give a listen to this. Dr. Merritt has been in private practice of orthopedic and spine surgery since 1995 and is the past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And as a lifelong advocate of free market, uh, patient-centered medicine, she actually had the opportunity a long time ago to to go on the John Stossel Show and fight Obamacare, and I'm so glad she did that. Uh, Dr. Merritt, so glad to have you uh, with us because I cannot wait to pick your brain today. How are you? Oh, great. Nice to see you, Kate. We are actually smarter than they gave us credit for, and we're figuring a lot of stuff out. And, uh, yes. you know, and so that's why the, the, there's a lot of fear mongering. I mean, this idea of nuclear weapons, you're not going to be doing nuclear weapons, essentially, in, in a world when you have scalar weapons. You know, if Putin throws a nuclear weapon out there, I'm going to eat my sports car, you know, piece by piece. I, I bet you there's zero chance of that. Now, we could do it. Unfortunately, NATO might throw a, nu- a nuclear weapon out there to make him the guilty to try and blame it. The only person that would throw out a nuke right now is somebody that wants to make a false flag against somebody else. A lot exactly. of fear not- nonsense. You know, the, the coronavirus Amen. or the Amen. SARS-CoV-2 that's now 80 percent fatal. Don't don't buy into this. Don't get a don't monkey pox. You know, they just can't. They keep coming up with more stuff all the time. <laughs> If you really look around at the world, it is true. There are islands off Antarctica that are named Delta and Omicron. They're owned by the Rothschilds. Go look yes, it up. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they, so sy- they love symbols. I'm just my point is that this is all symbolic and fear mongering. And everything they do is to divide us and to keep us divi- keep us afraid and keep us separated. If there's an answer here, it's do not be separated from your fellow man and do not be right. afraid and fight the good fight. Love this. Love this. Uh, So there's so much news. I think people are getting a little strangled by all of the news coming out about vaccines and and all of the dangers, the the deaths, the sudden adult death syndrome and all of this. And I just wanted you to comment on this. But just the latest, what is your perspective on the latest coming out? Okay. well, it's grim. I mean, the numbers are grim. And what we've been seeing is grim, all the sudden deaths and the people dropping over. But here's the point I'm going to say, first of all, if you're listening to this and you've been vaccinated, they've been steering the conversation away from anything other than mRNA. And they made it sound like you can't do it. We can't do anything about your vaccine injuries because it's all mRNA. It got into your DNA and you're just you're just hosed and we don't know what to do. That is not true. Again, I think that is another 
uh, of this fear tactics. And I think that now through a combination of data from Celeste Solom and Karen Kingston, what she just came out with, and, and Brian Artist and so many people, we are finding things that we can do something about it because we're not finding mRNA in these vaccines. After, the, after it's all said and done, there are 18 labs out there that are studying these vaccines from Sinovac to, to the Sputnik to AstraZeneca, Moderna, and what they are not finding is mRNA. There are things in there. It's hydrogel, and that's hydrogel, graph, reduced graphene oxide, and some metal fragment stuff. And I think we have a way out of this. It's also EMF. That's another real bad part of this whole thing. So that's what we need to talk about is how we get ourselves out of this and, and then how we take our world back. One of the ways we take our world back is changing our language. We have to realize we've been lied to about basic physiology and medicine probably since 1905. The idea that we transmit disease to each other through these little animacules that float out and make each other sick is a great anti-human agenda without proof. We have to go back in medicine and in biology and look at how did we prove these things. And if you don't know how something was proved, then it isn't proved until you figure out how it was proved. 100 percent, Dr. Lee Merritt. I'm, I'm with you. Yes, the Rockefellers, in the absence of finding a bacteria back in 1905, actually declared this new thing called a virus. And it was going to be invisible and it was going to be contagious. And they changed history from then on by claiming that. And you go back to the lie and the lie is bold and fierce and it's right there. And I'm sorry, you can't escape the facts. I, I love the fact that you're hitting hard on, you know, our history with virus. We need to re-examine that. Our history with cancer, we need to re-examine that. Um, so tell me some of your thoughts on on uh, on cancer and virus. Kate, I appreciate you kind of got me started on the old archives of newspapers, which really illuminates what's been going on, not just about 1918, but it turns out also Woodstock. You know, did, you, did, did anybody remember? I was in college then. Does anybody remember that there was a flu pandemic during Woodstock? <laughs> no, we just remember that all these people were grouped together at Woodstock. And they didn't get sick. They, nobody remembered it. When you ask people that went to Woodstock, weren't you worried about the flu? They say, no, not really. What flu? You know, it's like they were all young people. No. So there's been a there's been a, uh, a very interesting psyop going on about these viruses for a long time. Our immune system is getting attacked. And for the last 100 years, they've been doing a huge, huge number on our immune system. And we haven't realized it, I think. Um, we, we flock to go get a vaccine so stupidly because we think that's gonna save us when really and truly, I think it's what's been doing the damage to us all along, uh, especially if you go do some homework, the AMA, so just so corrupt. I was just listening to a speaker say, you know, the medical cartel is 10 times more corrupt than even government. I mean, can you get more corrupt than Washington, D.C.? Uh, so Dr. Merritt, I mean, um, there are many things like that, though, in our past that they chalked up to virus, that they chalked up to this infectious illness. And everybody knows if you just take a step back, when your family members are sick, you didn't automatically get sick, did you? So we don't even look at the evidence right in front of our faces that these things really could not be infectious. It's just it's your it's the immune system kind of manifesting itself in the same symptoms over and over again, saying 
um, you know, you're not doing well with your immune system. When we talk about viruses in medicine, we have this acronym WNL, and it's supposed to mean within normal limits, but in point of fact, it often means we never looked. This is a, the virus, so we look over in this box. We're not looking at it with an open scientific mind. Now, as you and I've talked about, and, and you've helped research too, is in 1918, they actually looked at, they did autopsies of the, of the victims, and they actually tried to prove transmission. They couldn't prove transmission, and they couldn't prove what was causing the problem. Those autopsies were then looked at by a Chinese group in uh, 2018, I think, and they, were, and they looked at the old pathologic blocks of the influenza deaths, and they concluded using modern, quote, uh, genetic and, and virologic techniques that they still didn't know what caused the pandemic of 1918. And this whole thing with parasites, I got to say, first of all, um, it fits what we're seeing. If you really look at it, the, 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 besides the military people I talked about, look at all the people that you know that had cancer that was in remission, and then suddenly they took the, the vaccine, so-called vaccine, and their cancer just blew out all over the place. Part of this is they've actually uh, dumbed down our immune system to make us vulnerable to our own parasites. But it gets even worse. Now, when you look at what Karen Kingston just came up with, she found old stuff from Ralph Barrick that Ralph Barrick admitted well, you know, yes, we did isolate this spike protein genetically and we tried to manipulate it and do this stuff, but it just didn't work very well. <laughs> you know, so that's one fact. The other fact is the RNA idea, this idea that we have RNA, that this is all about RNA, whether it's in the, in the, in the virus or in the vaccine. If you get away from the idea this is mRNA mediated, look at what Karen Kingston just came up with. She said, you know, there's hydrogel, the three things that the 18 labs found in these vaccines of all sorts, hydrogel, graphene oxide, and metals. Hydrogel is not just a, 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 a thing that, you know, it's a polymer that's cross-linked that absorbs water. That's at its simplest level. We use hydrogel in labs. We use hydrogel to make contact. And lenses, there's lots of stuff. But now we have genetically engineered hydrogel that they're literally, literally saying is a new life form. It can multiply, it can expand, and it can react to outside forces, including wavelengths. So you've got, you've got, they call it smart hydrogel, and now you've got smart genetic engineered hydrogel. The picture that we classically see of the blue, it looks like a blue ball with all these spiky things coming out of it. It looks really scary. It sounds scary. That's CGI. It's nothing. It's a picture. It's no more real than my dryer balls that look very similar, you know. So, but, but what so these true. are is this hydrogel, like you're seeing right there, it can conform to 5G. So in one conformation, it can hook into your ACE2 pathway. In another conformation, it doesn't. So they can dose us with this hydrogel. It can get into us. It acts like a synthetic parasite. And then they can turn on the 5G and create disease outbreaks wherever they want. I think that's what's happening. Now, when it comes to parasite, why? the other thing is I'll have to say, remember George Carlin, the seven words you couldn't say on TV? Well, now you can say all of those words on TV. Here are the six right. words you can't say on TV right now. You can't say nitazoxanide, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, fenbendazole, and chlorine dioxide. Those are the Bingo. six antiparasitic drugs, and they all seem to work, some better than others. Bingo. It's the smoking gun again the hydroxychloroquine paradox. And as I pointed out on our last broadcast, which featured Stu Peters' interview with Karen Kingston, 
The banning of hydroxychloroquine was necessary in order for the now presumably parasitic injections to do what they wanted them to do, which had nothing to do with a pandemic or virus. And if you're unaware of how researchers have simply never been able to tie any virus related to the 1918 flu, check out our April 29th show, Just Write 704, for Dr. Samantha Bailey's account of the experiments carried out in Boston in 1919 with seriously ill flu patients and healthy prison volunteers. They couldn't spread the flu no matter what they tried, and some of the attempts were kind of gross. Now, I have to admit, I'm rather surprised by the fact that we're not finding MNRA in these vaccines, because if that's so, then what of all of these other doctors and researchers, not the least of which was Dr. Robert Malone, a developer of the MNRA, been talking about when it came to this topic? And I see yet another contradiction that may need to be resolved in the near future. There was a portion of Lee Merritt's conversation with Kate Daly, not played on our show today, that revealed flu outbreaks coincided with, believe it or not, sunspots and cycles of the sun. The evidence and arguments she presented on this are compelling, and I'll be no doubt featuring this particular school of thought in the not-too-distant future. The quick bottom line is that they're now talking about the electromagnetic transmission of disease, which has implications that could be revolutionary. It also explains the role of 5G in this whole plot, something, again, we plan to look into further on future shows. And not only did the Rockefellers invent a story about viruses to maintain their control over healthcare in the past, they also invented, believe it or not, the story that oil is a fossil fuel, which we have long known it is not, but that too is part of the story we'll be looking at in the future. However, the discovery that the injections include hydrogel is generally good news, especially for the vaccinated. And I was pleased to hear Dr. Merritt echo my own observation last week when she said, I think we have a way out of this, which as Karen Kingston suggested, was that the nanotechnological parasites being injected into people can actually be turned off. But Dr. Merritt's other suggestion for getting out of our mess, quote-unquote, was a real pleasant surprise. Changing our language to reflect the reality of the whole COVID situation. In fact, that's a perfect remedy for resolving many of the political and economic confusions about health care and the economy that we discussed earlier. If we aren't using the right concepts and the right words that correspond to reality, we'll never find a way out of our state of crises. If we can't tell the difference between profit and theft, between capitalism and, say, fascism, between freedom and tyranny, between left and right, and all of the other necessary distinctions that enable us to act effectively, well, then there will only be one solution remaining. And that is to be sure to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and of course, be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Look, look!
Excuse me. Excuse me. You're probably really busy, but can I just say you are my all-time favourite fascist dictator. I mean, I've read all your war diaries, and your Italian campaign was brilliant. Um, could you just sign this for me? Uh, make it out to my good pal Arnie from your dear chum Napoleon Bonaparte. 